before we uh, jump into the word this morning, um, I hate to ask you again, but would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I just want us to pray together before we get started. You know, we, we've been in a sermon series here on prayer the last few weeks, and we had a we had a prayer night, and we've been praying about a lot of different things. And um, I know of some requests that have been answered. Andrew Jarvis wanted me to share this. We had prayed for his grandpa who had been sent home on hospice, and and they were just, you know, they wanted to have some assurance about his salvation. But he, he sent me a message the other day, and he said that his papa gave his life to the Lord there after we had, we had prayed. And so it's good to know that when you come together and pray in agreement that God, God is actually moving in these situations. Amen. So I know that people have brought things here this morning. And, and, and I believe that the Lord wants to give you rest just like Caitlin was saying and one of the things that can give you rest, the scripture teaches that when you, to not be anxious, to not get torn up about the things that are going on in your life, but if you will let your requests be made known to God, one, he doesn't just have you to pray so that you can feel better about it. He has you pray so that he can move and answer that, that prayer request that you have. That's what he wants to do. But also he says that he'll give you a peace that surpasses all understanding and it will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. So can we just, I know everybody's got requests. I don't know specifically what they are, but can we just bow our heads and, and you just take a moment there to let your request be made known to God? Because I believe we're in a season where the Lord wants to bring answered prayers. I believe we're in a season where he just wants to show his faithfulness in answering our prayers. And so, Lord, we bring those to you, God. Every burden, every weight this morning, God, that's on every heart. Lord, some people are grieving loss in different ways, Lord. Maybe they lost a loved one. Maybe it's just a season where... So many things have changed that, God, they don't know how to move forward. Uh, but, Lord, right now I'm, just, I, I'm, I'm praying that those burdens would be released and they would be lifted this morning and that, God, you would grant wisdom and you'd grant peace and that rest, Lord, that peace and that rest that only comes from you and comes from heaven. God, there's so many people battling illness and battling sickness, and there is authority in your name, Jesus, that even in this moment, for people, God, that are dealing with that, God, you can touch their bodies now. You can touch their bodies now. Even people that aren't here, Lord, your word declares that he sent forth his word and he healed them and he delivered them from their destructions. We're believing right now, God, that you're healing people, that you are delivering them from their destructions. And Jesus, you're, you're lifting burdens off right now, God. I pray that you would bring joy where there's only been depression, where there's only been anxiety and fear, and even mourning, God, that joy would begin to come into people's souls, Lord Jesus, and that there would be a freedom in worship and in praise to you, God, as you begin to do works in our midst. Lord, there's some people this morning asking you for miracles in certain situations and we lift them up to you God just asking you and believing you to move in this situation that they're bringing to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus we say amen to that can you say amen that this morning praise God yes you can be seated everybody doing good this morning all right well you care if we get into the Bible is that okay did you come to church expecting that we might open it up I don't know uh, you know, it's a good thing to bring your Bible. I don't know if I was going to give somebody a pro tip on like coming to church, I'd suggest bring an actual a hard copy, you know what I'm saying? Because it's something about reading it and seeing it on the screen. There's something completely different when you see it in your Bible. And then if you're a wild person, you know, you can actually like 
open up a notebook and take a note, and then that way it, it stands as a refresher. That way you, you, you take something with you. You're engaged in what's going on. Just a pro tip, if you didn't, don't feel bad about it this morning. We do have it on the screen, and the Lord will bless you. Amen. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a message this morning just simply entitled, Teach Us to Pray. And so Luke chapter 11, verse 1 I'll be there, and then I'll be in Matthew chapter 6, going through the Lord's Prayer, just verse by verse. But it says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, this is Jesus, when he had ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now, I love this because if you look at Jesus' life, if you're reading throughout the Gospels and you're reading throughout Jesus' life and ministry, one of the things that you'll notice is that one, obviously what we believe is that Jesus is God in the flesh. Amen. He performed miracles that nobody else could perform. He's doing things that nobody else could do. He is God in the flesh. But what is interesting about Jesus is he's also called the Son of Man. And the reason he's called the Son of Man is because he took on human flesh to embody what it meant to be a human being in right relationship with the Father. And that's why you see constantly that Jesus is praying pretty much more than anybody. The man fasts more than any of his disciples. He prays more than any of his disciples. He's waking up early before his disciples get up because he knows that if he doesn't, that they're going to be up asking him questions and bothering him and probably getting on his nerves if that's possible for the Son of God. But he would get up and he would go into a solitary place and pray. Sometimes at night he'd let them go to bed and he'd go into a mountain and he'd pray all night to God and then he'd show up later and he would minister to the folks around. And so one of the things that the disciples are noticing about Jesus day in, day out is that he is a man of prayer. Like this guy prays, but the other thing is that they know about Jesus is that he doesn't just pray. When he comes out in public, he prays and he gets results from prayer. Like when he prays, things happen. Matter of fact, he developed a whole new type of prayer that he would go and spend time with the Father in private. And when he came out in public, he would just simply make commands and things would change. So they're watching him do this. And a lot of scholars will say that when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Because of all the things they could have asked, they could have said, like, if I was hanging out with Jesus, I'd been like, Lord, could you teach me how to walk on water? Matter of fact, teach me how to run. I mean, we can probably start a business like this. We do like a David Blaine, like kind of a magic show or something like that. We make big money on this. Teach me how to walk on water. You know, you could ask him, teach me how to cast out demons, teach me how to raise the dead. You could ask him all kinds of things, but they realized that ultimately the source of all of those things taking place was his prayer life. They realized that all of the other things that he could have taught them was to be found in his prayer life. That without prayer, none of those other things were going to be manifested. None of those other things were going to be happen, happening. So what the one thing that they asked him was, Lord, teach us to pray. And a lot of scholars will say that when he actually taught what we call the Lord's Prayer, that he was developing for them a model that when they went through this prayer that he taught them, certain teachings and certain things that they had watched him do would pop up in their mind and remind them of the life that he had lived and the things that he had done. And so he taught them that specific prayer. But I want you to understand this is that Jesus, God himself, gives us a mandate to pray. Like it's, in the Christian life, prayer is not optional, right? 
Like if we're going to live for God and we're going to do what God has called us to do and be disciples, prayer is not an optional thing. It's a mandate. But I need you to understand this, that God hasn't just called us to pray so that we can just sort of uh, do something else with our time or keep our thought life in a good position or even so that we could just be personally uh, uh, engaged with God. But he's actually given us prayer because he wants us to co-labor with him. You are representatives of the kingdom of heaven. And through prayer, you actually engage the heart of the Father to know that what God wants to do here on this earth looks a lot like His kingdom there. So He's saying, look, I put you in the earth as representatives of the kingdom of heaven. And the way that you're going to change the earth to make it reflect heaven more and more is through the power of prayer in which you access all of the resources that I have for you. And so he's bringing us into that place where he realizes, look, you, you need to realize that prayer is given to you not just so you can feel better about stuff, but it is given to you because you can actually bring about change in the earth through your prayers. You believe that this morning? Your prayers will actually change things in this world. The scripture says in Ephesians 1.3 that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now the thing is, I have every spiritual blessing in my account but that doesn't mean that it's in my possession. Say amen to that, right? Like there's some things that may be in the account, but if I don't go up there and withdraw it, I can never actually use it. And this is where prayer comes in handy because Jesus has purchased for us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But he says that all of that has been placed in your account, but you know you can say you have everything and actually function in none of it. It's one thing to know it on paper. It's one thing to read the Bible verse. It's the other thing to have a prayer life that actually, actually accesses the resources of heaven and brings them to play here on the earth in our lives. Prayer is that which makes withdrawals on the account. Prayer is that which makes withdrawal on the account. So, you know... The, the Lord's Prayer, like, like people say all the time, and I, I just don't know how to pray, and, and I get that. And, and here's, here's one of the things. When it comes to reading the Bible, because people ask all the time, like, what should I do? Where should I start? What about prayer? How should I pray? What should I pray? And the main key to both prayer and reading the Bible is literally, and I know you ain't going to like this, but just do it. You, you just start somewhere. And you begin to pray, you begin to talk to God, you open the Bible, the New Testament, you begin to read it, and you let those two things shape your prayer life. The way that you learn to pray is by praying and the Holy Spirit gets involved. But if you're waiting on somebody to give you an outline and, and waiting on somebody to give you the perfect mechanism or the perfect tool in, in which to pray with, you'll probably never get started. You're going to sit around and wait on the perfect program and it will never come. Each individual is different. The Holy Spirit leads each individual differently. He may lead you to a book of the Bible that he's not leading a, a brother, brother John over here to. You need to learn to live a spirit-led life in which he is teaching you to pray. But there are scriptures we can learn to pray scripture. And Jesus himself has given us a model prayer in which we can pray. So there are certain things in scripture, the Lord's Prayer being one of them. Like if you grew up in a certain type of church, I grew up in a Catholic church. So we's always praying the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you're, and you're learning that. But here's the thing. You pray that. When I prayed that, I would pray that very repetitively. And it lost its power in my life. 
But then I realized that Jesus wasn't giving this prayer just so you could repeat it, even though that's fine. Like if you just pr pray it, repeat it, that, that's good too. But he's giving it to you as a model prayer. And what I found out is that I can literally spend an hour in prayer just going verse by verse through that one prayer. I can do that. And so if you have that memorized in your heart, you can learn how to go verse by verse through these scriptures. And so if you ever don't know what to pray, you have a model that you can work through. And see, the discipline of repeated prayer, right, it's, 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 it's good for you if you can keep it alive. If you can keep it alive, it will hold a lot of power in your life. And so when he invites us into this place to pray, here's the thing that you need to understand about God is he's not getting you. He doesn't want you to try to persuade him to do something. I promise you this morning that God wants to do more than you can even imagine in your life. He wants to do more than we can imagine. He's inviting us into a place and always has where we co-labor with him as his representatives of another kingdom. And that's what prayer does. It comes into agreement with the will of God and says, Lord, we want to see your will done right here in our midst. And so in, in, in verse 7 and 8, let me, let me read Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through 13. It says, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, as he starts this, he, he says in verse 7 and 8, don't be like the heathen who just use vain repetitions because they think they're going to be heard for their many words. And then he says this. He says, your father knows what you have need of before you even ask him. And that's interesting. And when you think about that, he, what he's saying is the heathen used to pray in such a way that they would say the same thing over and over again, believing that somehow if they kept saying the same thing over and over again, somehow it would just unlock the heavens and God would grant them their request because they were repeating the same thing over and over again. But then he talks and he says, look, you need to understand something. Your heavenly father already knows the things that you have need of before that you ask him. Now, what he's trying to say is you need to see your relationship and your prayer life with God first and foremost to a father. Now, most of y'all, a lot of y'all in this room, you are fathers, you are parents. And here's one thing that I know about like Naomi, for example. For Naomi's needs, she don't even have to ask me. It is my good pleasure to make sure that that baby has a baba. Like, you know, when it's snack time, I'm going to have some blueberries and some cheese because she likes blueberries and cheese. And she don't even have to ask. I know it's time. I know what her necessities are when she's got a stank, rotten diaper. As much as I don't like stank, rotten diapers, as a good father, I know what her necessities are, and she needs that off her hind end, right? So I'm going to do it, and I'm going to get it taken care of, and I'm going to do it without her ever having to ask or even cry for it because I'm a father. Right, And so I know what she has need of. Now, there may be other things that she wants and she cries out for, and it may not necessarily be a need or a necessity. You know what I'm talking about. How many of y'all, you got kids, and they ask for things all the time, but they ain't needs. You know what I'm saying? It's a totally different thing. Like, Naomi, I know you want this knife, and you're just wailing over it, but that's not a need. You don't need this knife. I don't know. You don't need that lighter. 
Like there's certain things that she needs, but then there's certain things that she doesn't. And see, this is interesting because in the very next chapter, Jesus says something that would almost seem contradictory if you didn't understand that. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, one chapter later exactly, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And if you read the Greek language, literally what it will say is this. Ask and keep on asking and you shall receive. Knock and keep on knocking and the door shall be open to you. So it's this progressive ongoing. So it's like chapter 6 he says, hey, don't make vain, don't make vain, don't repeat prayer over and over again. And then in chapter 7 he says, no, repeat the prayer over and over again. You ever read verses in the Bible like that? Like there's one in Proverbs chapter 26 that says, do not rebuke a fool lest he hate you. Next verse says, rebuke a fool lest you be like him. And I'm like, Lord, which one is it? And here's the thing. When Scripture seems to contradict itself, it's always inviting you into a deeper understanding because this is a spirit-led life. And when you are praying for needs, you can know that your Father is good enough to meet your needs. And all you got to do is ask Him once because you need it. Amen. So he says, ask him once. He said, but don't go into vain repetitions when it comes to necessities. But when it comes to the dreams of your life, when it comes to the gifts of God, when it comes to those things, he wants you to continue asking because there's something taking place when you continue asking when it comes to dreams, when it comes to gifts, when it comes to things that you want beyond your basic necessities of life. And when you pray and you're engaging with God the Father, what happens is your heart is changed to make you the kind of person that is able to receive the gift that he gives when he's ready to give it. Amen. There's so many things that I've prayed for. I mean, a lot of y'all that are in this room, whether you believe it or not, you're in this room because I prayed for you. I, I believe that with all my heart. Like, like I, got, I, got, I got people around me and leaders around me now that I've, I begged the Lord for. And I thought he wasn't going to send them. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden they just start popping up. And, 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 they're, and, they're, there, and they're there. And, so people, and, and I've seen, but, but, but when I was praying and begging God for those things, he was shaping my character to be the kind of person who could receive that gift and see it as a gift from God. And know that this came from the Lord and then be the kind of person that had the character to steward the gift. What I'm saying is, is that, yeah, you need to pray for your basic necessities, but you ain't got to beg your father. He loves you. He wants you to give you your necessities. But there's something going on in the spirit that God will put a dream in your heart. He'll put a desire in your heart. You'll want to be used by God more powerfully. And he's saying, what I need you to do when it comes to those things is to ask and keep asking. I need you to knock and keep on knocking until that door is opened up and God pours out those gifts. Because in Matthew 7, 11, it says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And I ain't trying to go all health and wealth gospel here this morning or anything like that. But I will say there's been multiple times, like for example, I remember one time I was like researching this gadget and, man, I just wanted it real bad. I was like, you know what? I just want one of them, man. For no real reason, I just want it. It looks fun. You know, the thing's 1200 bucks, okay? And I'm like, ah, I probably ain't going to get that. It's 1200 bucks. And I'm sitting there researching it, looking at it, yada, yada, just going on for weeks. And finally in the shower one day, I just said to the Lord in my heart, wasn't even really praying, just, in Lord, just talking to the Lord in my heart. I said, Lord, you know, I mean, I know I don't need that, but I sure would like to have one. And I kid you not, later that day, somebody sends me a text and said, hey, would you come over? 
I, I, I want to talk to you about something. And they just said, the Lord, I just really felt like the Lord wanted me to give you this. And they gave me $1,200. Now, to me, I just thought that was, I was like, the Lord just moved this dude to give me $1,200 just to buy this. Not because I need, I don't need, I really didn't even need it. Matter of fact, I, I ended up selling the gadget to somebody else who really does need it later on down the road. But it was almost like the Lord said to me, son, you know, sometimes I'm, I, I want to give you a good gift. And I want you to know that those good gifts come from me. Now, understand that that ain't what always happens. Amen, right? Because some things we ask for and we don't necessarily need. And God knows when we don't need it. And I've always said that God's no is as good as his yes. When God says no to me, it is as good as his yes. Because he knows things that I don't know. He's, he knows what I don't need. But when it comes to those things, he's saying you need, to, you need to believe and you need to seek these dreams to be met. In, in verse 9, he says, I want to teach you to pray this way. And in verse 9, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I will say this, that our culture, even like in the Western church, we fashioned prayer to be very individual. Would you agree? So it's like, it's like we're going to pray for my dreams, for my calling, for my anointing, for my kids, for my family, for my deliverance, for my healing, for my for all those things. It's all about me, 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 me. And what he's saying is when you address God, one, you don't want to just come to him as, as, as you only. It's our Father corporately. And I need you to understand this, that there are some prayers that are so big that I'm praying right now that they can only be answered corporately. There's some prayers that the only way that God answers them is if every single one of you are involved and even people outside of these walls get involved. Like some prayers are so big that they can only be answered and given to the entire family. That's why when we pray, we pray our Father, and we recognize that we are intimately connected to one another. That when I go to God in prayer, I'm not just bringing myself there, even though, yeah, I'm praying for some individual things, but I'm bringing my brothers and sisters in with me, and I'm addressing my heavenly Father. And that's how God is revealed in the New Testament. Jesus shows up on the scene, and of all the names that God had in the Old Testament, the one name that Jesus calls God is Heavenly Father, right? It's important to note, Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And many of you need this because many of you, your view of God is, is maybe, maybe even you had a bad dad and he was like an angry jerk or whatever, I don't know. But you get this image of God where he's an angry taskmaster, always demanding, never helping, never loving, who's careless about your life. And you get this view of God. And he says, no, you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear God or to have a misconception about God. But you've received the spirit of adoption whereby now in your heart, when you come to God, your heart cries out, Abba, Father. And you sense that relationship with him. You know you're protected. You know that you're cared for. You know that you can call upon his name and he's there and he'll care for you. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. But you've got to ask yourself, what is your picture of God? Jesus said this in John 17, 6. He said, I've manifested your name. Because we're talking about hallowed be your name, right? If we start out our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm saying these are the things that I'm thinking about when I'm just going through this first line. He says, I have manifested your name to the men you have given to me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Now notice who he calls him. Holy Father, keep through your name 
those who you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Now, I want you to understand that because they were kept in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord was what protected them. The name of the Lord was over them. Not one of them fell sick except the son of perdition. Obviously, Judas had a bad go in the end. But, but what we know is that he says, the ones that you've given me, I have kept in your name. And he says, hallowed be your name. I want you to understand something about the name of the Lord. Do not take his name in vain. Amen this morning, right? So many people take his name in vain. They use the word, the name Jesus flippantly, and it's the greatest name that is on planet earth. Don't use his name flippantly. Don't use the name of the Lord. Don't take his name in vain. So many people do it so often. And if they knew him, if they truly knew him, they would not use his name that way. Because in his name, there is power. So you, don't, you never treat the name of the Lord as if it's something common, as if you can use it as a curse word, as if you can use it to say, ow, I hurt myself. No, his name is holy. And it's to be magnified. It's to be kept pure so that when you know you're using the name of the Lord, guess what's going to happen? Power is going to be released. Something is going to happen because it's the name of the Lord. And he says, so keep his name holy. That's what hallowed means. Proverbs 18.10, it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. See, the name of the Lord is a hiding place. And throughout the Old Testament, what's interesting is you got multiple names of God, and I put just a few down here. But if you read in the Old Testament, if you want to put that slide up for us, in the Old Testament, there's multiple names of God where God reveals himself to individuals. So again, what am I doing? I'm just praying through the name of the Lord. So when I come to the Lord, first and foremost, like before I engage in prayer, for example, to say hallowed be your name is to worship who God is. It's to say, God, before I even pray a prayer, if I got 10 minutes to pray, I'm going to spend eight minutes in worship. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Just declaring who the Lord is, what his nature is, and, and about his goodness. And so scripture says that he's Jehovah Sidkenu in the Old Testament. He's the Lord, our righteousness. And I can stop right there and say, Lord, there's so many people right now that are lost that don't know you. But if you would reveal your truth to them, they can repent and put faith in you, Jesus, and you will impart your righteousness to them. And I start to intercede for people. And then I say, Lord, you are Jehovah Mikadesh, the Lord our sanctifier. And all of a sudden you realize you need your attitude changed. You need people transformed by the fire of God and by the Holy Spirit. And you say, Lord, I need you to change my heart. I need you to make me into the image of Jesus. And you start praying through personal transformation. Transformation for your family. That God would set us apart from this world to be used for the glory of God. And he would break off addictions and bad habits. Amen. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is our healer. I know that that's his name. And here's the thing that you need to understand. Healing is not just something that he gives you. It is his nature. It's who he is. And when you come into the presence of the Lord, healing is there. Righteousness is there. Sanctification is there. That's why worship is so important, y'all. Because rather than just getting through three songs, if we magnify the name of the Lord together, the scripture still says, and we say this all the time, that, the, that God inhabits the praises of his people. And if he inhabits the praises of his people, his name is over us, healing is in the room. Righteousness is in the room. Sanctification is in the room. Peace is in the room. Why? Because he showed up and that's who he is. Amen. I don't know if y'all are feeling this or not this morning. This is why worship is so important. 
Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner of victory. See, if I just got these written down and I'm just in the first part of this prayer and I'm praying, Lord, here's what my brother over here is going through. Here's where the enemy has attacked. But Lord, you are his banner of victory. And we're believing you to defeat the enemy and drive out the forces of darkness and bring deliverance in this situation and be a banner of victory over him in this situation. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. I start to pray for people that I know are depressed and dealing with anxiety. And I'm saying, Lord, bring peace, bring wholeness, bring security to them and let it come that's your name he's Jehovah Jireh the Lord our provider God we need the resources of heaven you are Jehovah Jireh we're asking you to move in this situation and meet these needs and you're just praying out the name of the Lord because that's who he is and that's what he wants to do so just in that first part you've already got plenty of things that you can pray but here's what I want you to understand is that the scripture says that all of those names they culminate in one name in the New Testament that's God the Father and God the Father points you to His Son, and He says because He was obedient to the point of death on the cross, God has lifted Him up and exalted Him, and He has given Him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee bows, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, bows to the name of Jesus Christ and declares that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That name of Jesus is powerful. And when you use that name, it's not just a token word at the end of a prayer. It means that you're praying in the character and the nature of God and in faith you're believing. This is who God is, so I believe he's going to do it in Jesus' name because it's his nature, because it's his character. Matthew 16, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this line right here, man, is one of the most powerful lines in all of Scripture. And it's so simple, and like we said, we repeat it so much in prayer that we, we lose some power on it sometimes. But he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you read it in the verb tense, it's almost like a command. It's like, kingdom of God, come. Will of God, be done. It's read like that, but see, it's not a command to God. It's, it's the way of speaking and understanding that this is God's will, this is God's kingdom, and he desires it to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so you come with an authority knowing that you're partnering now with God's will, with God's desire. You're not trying to pull God's arm and say, God, I know you don't like people that much. And I know you don't want to move because you're mad at us. No, he wants the earth to look like heaven. He wants the earth to look like heaven. He wants your home and your relationships and this church and this community to be filled with the glory of the Lord. And I've always said we live in the already not yet. That means that we don't see the fullness of it yet, but it is already breaking in through, our, through us in our midst to those who are submitted to God and say, Lord, I'm here to partner with you. It starts to break out in our midst in measure. And then one day Jesus Christ is coming and he's going to set up his kingdom in fullness. But until that time comes, he has taught us to pray that his kingdom would come now and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven so around our life around this church we should be expanding piece by piece and I know that it's not going to change the whole world until the Lord gets here but piece by piece we should be expanding making the lives around us and the world around us look more like heaven until Jesus comes that's the prayer that he's saying I want you to engage with. I want you to pray in this way because there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of heaven and there's the kingdom of darkness. And the end goal is that heaven and earth become one. And so what God is saying, he's saying I want ultimately and I will ultimately 
defeat all darkness and restore the earth so that heaven and earth become one. But he said, I want you to partner with me now so that it begins to break out already. So that it begins to move already. And here's the thing. You start aligning your will with God's will. When y'all come to prayer, you, you question what God's will is all the time. You're like, well, I'm praying this, but I just don't know if it's God's will. Go to Scripture. Find God's will. Look at Jesus. The Scripture says to be wise, understanding what the will of the Lord is. When you know the Word of God and when you know Jesus, when you see situations, you say, does this reflect hell or does this reflect heaven? Because God wants that situation to reflect heaven. Now, this does not mean that we don't see evil at work in the world. Look, man, there's, there's a, millions upon millions of fallen angels and demonic forces at work in a broken world. There are humans at work in a broken world. Most of us, every single one of us, were wicked on the inside, if you want to say amen to that this morning. We make bad choices on a regular basis, and God has permitted through His sovereign will to allow us to make bad choices that are always banging up against one another. And so many things in the world seem absolutely random, but I need you to know a couple of things about God's will, right? Because when you, when you have answers to prayer, I don't know if, if you realize this, but answers to prayer actually strengthen prayer. It's when you pray and you don't have any answers that you say, man, that didn't work, and you give up. But God wants you to have, he, said, he actually said, ask and receive that your joy may be full. So he wants you to pray into answers and see those answers. And sometimes I think, honestly, he will, once you grow in that, he'll allow you to pray more because he wants to teach you persistence in prayer so that you see breakthrough in prayer. That takes time. So he's drawing you in, he's inviting you into persistence in prayer to see this kind of breakthrough. But here's the thing, if you don't know when a prayer is answered, how will you know? Like, if I'm praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, how do I know when that prayer is answered? I'll tell you. When I'm praying for somebody that's depressed, and the Lord shows up and moves on their life and gives them peace and sets, free, sets them free, the kingdom of heaven has come. Amen. When I prayed for Barb that day and she had a torn rotator cuff and God set her free and now she could pick up her grandbabies without having to have surgery, the kingdom of heaven came. Right? When somebody is suicidal, but we sit down and we counsel with them and we share the word of God with them and God starts to move in their heart and they get saved and they decide, you know what, I, I, I'm done with that now. I've got joy in my heart. I've got peace in my heart. You know what happened? The kingdom of heaven came. When, you're in your, when you are in your workplace and somebody's going through a difficult time and you can come alongside of them just to encourage them with a word of the Lord and to pray for them and, and they sense a peace and your love and your goodness with them, what happens? The kingdom of heaven came. And God's will was done where? On earth as it is in heaven. He, you're bringing that reflection of what heaven looks like through your prayer and praying through this. Now, here's what I want you to understand, though. Don't pray that privately if you ain't going to obey publicly. Ooh, that's a good word right there. Let that sit there for a minute. Don't pray that privately if you're not going to obey the Lord publicly. Because so many prayers, look at Jesus, look at the disciples... They had a private life of prayer with God where nobody else knew about it. They were in the secret place. And the Lord who saw in secret, what did he say? He said he would reward them openly. See, they didn't just pray in private for people. They prayed in private. They were filled with the power of God. But then they came out in public. And see, your prayer is what brings about the mark for God to strike. 
I need you to understand that I have prayed for people privately and then God, when I get out in public, say, now lay hands on them and pray for them publicly and I will hit the mark and my will will be done on earth in this situation as it is in heaven. But I've given you the authority to co-labor with me. You are the gate of heaven. Through your prayers, God moves. So don't just pray privately if you're not going to obey publicly. So God, we know... God's will is honestly a difficult thing sometimes for people to comprehend, right? It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Like, what, what is God's will? You're talking about, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so many people, well, maybe if this, if this prayer isn't answered, well, that wasn't God's will. And see, I, I'm a little bit different. I, I, see, I see the will of God in, in several different modes. And actually, if you look in the Greek language, we know that terrible, I believe this, that we know that horrible things happen every day that obviously fall under God's permissive will. He allows certain horrible things to happen, and we question it, and we're like, what the heck, Lord? Like, I mean, why? Why would you allow this to happen? And we know that ultimately God is going to come. He's going to set all things right, and we don't have all the answers, just to be honest with you. There's things we're going to go through in this life. We're going to experience pain and suffering and sorrow, and we're going to have questions. And he gives us the hope to say, listen, one day, not yet, but one day I'm coming back, and I will make all things new. I will set all things right. So set your hope in that fully, even though you don't understand why there's all kinds of chaos going on now in the world and evil is running rampant. I have, under my sovereign will, permitted certain things to happen. But I need you to understand that not everything that happens is my will in that I desire it to happen. That I want this to happen. But I can work even the most evil things toward the end goal of my perfect will. And I know that's a mystery, right? I don't even, y'all are probably like, what did he just say right then? But there's two Greek words for will in the, in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. And one of the words is bulamai. You like that word? Like, get that tattooed somewhere, bulamai. But don't get it in, in, in English letters, okay? That's just a pro tip if you're getting tats. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Somebody, somebody quit church over that. <laughs> bulamai is will that is absolute overruling and directive. Like, there's certain things you can pray for. It's going to happen no matter what you do. The Lord's coming back whether you pray for Him to or not. And it's coming back on the Father's terms, right? It don't matter if you pray it or not, it's going to happen. It's overruling, it's absolute, it's directive. It will happen whether you pray or not. Thalo, though, is a Greek word that's used in different contexts, and it is to will, be willing, wish, or desire... And it commonly, this is what Greek scholars will say, it commonly refers to the Lord extending His best offer or greatest desire that requires our participation and co-laboring with Him for it to be done. Okay? So one Greek scholar says this. Put the next one up. He says, Bulamai, I love that. Resolute plan is a strong term that underlines the predetermined and determined intention driving the planning, wishing, and resolving. In contrast, Thalo focuses on the desire behind making an offer. Now notice what he says. He says, while God's Thalo offers can be rejected, like you can say no to God's will. You realize that? That's why when, I, when people are out here saying, well, you know, we, we went out and did this, we went out and did that, and, and they're... In willful sin, don't tell me that's God's will for your life. Somebody amen me this morning. Somebody amen me. I'm serious. Because people will say, well, we did that. must have been God's will. That was not God's will for your life. I don't care what you did. If it's sin, it's not God's will. Amen. 
So he says, while God's thalo offers can be rejected, his bulamai planning always works out his purpose, especially in conjunction with presetting the physical scenes of history. Now, y'all may not understood what I said, but here's basically what he's saying, is that God's got a will for my life, and he's saying, God, Clay, I want you to come into that will. Come into agreement with that will. Lay down that sin, repent, I will empower you, and if you walk in a relationship with me, I will use you for my glory, right? But here's the thing, I know right now you do, you on drugs, you're struggling, you're addicted to pornography, you're dealing with all that stuff. That's not my will for your life. But here's the thing, just because you've rejected that, I can actually insert my my will, which is overarching and sovereign, and I can use even the worst decisions you made to work it for good and for glory in the end goal of my will. And that's the sovereignty of God. That even when we make horrible, awful mistakes, he can use the worst parts of humanity to still work it toward his end goal and purpose. He's overall. But that does not mean that we don't have... Look, there's some things... Get, get like this. Like I said, there's some things that are going to happen whether you pray or not. But the vast majority of things that we're dealing with in our personal life won't happen unless we pray. He's saying there's some things on this planet that aren't going to happen that I want to do that is my will, that is my desire. But you have to partner with me in prayer to see that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this is so important, right? Romans 12, 2 says it like this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what? What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? And even there, he's listing three dimensions of his will. The good will of God, agathos, is literally his redemptive will. That means to take broken things and restore them to original design. Acceptable means that you live your life in such a way that it pleases God. And then lastly, his perfect will is telos. It means the end goal of his will. So he's saying, I want you to come into alignment with my will by not being conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind according to my word. And then you will be able to prove and discern what, what will be good to bring restoration, what will actually please me, and then what will work toward my end goal for your life and all of humanity. And he's saying, I need you to re renew your mind so you can come into agreement with my will on this earth. Amen. Matthew 16, 19. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind or forbid or declare to be improper and unlawful on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose or permit or declare lawful on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. And I need you to understand something here. I pray very regularly. I pray for sick people. I pray for people on their deathbed. And listen, here's the thing. Sometimes I see God do amazing things. And, and I pray for lost people and sometimes I see them say. But, but oftentimes I pray and we don't say, see anything happen. We see sickness rain. We see death rain. But what, 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 here's the thing. Just because... The kingdom of heaven doesn't seem to invade every time I pray. does not shift the standard by which I pray. You understand what I'm saying? Just because I may pray for a sick person here this morning and they don't get healed does not mean that when a sick person comes to me next week means that now I pray with less faith or less belief in how I should pray. Just because this person wasn't healed doesn't mean that now I believe, well, now I don't know if it's God's will to heal this person. I'm to pray as if heaven itself is now invading the earth to change this situation. And I leave it in the hands of God. 
I do what is my part according to Scripture, that heaven would invade earth and change the situation so that it would reflect heaven. If it doesn't happen, I know that God's going to come and make heaven here one day anyway. But until that day, I'm not changing the way I pray just because I don't get answers the way I want them when I want them. Y'all receiving that this morning? I know, that is like way better than I feel like y'all are responding to it. I'm sitting here thinking, my Lord, this is if, I, if I'd have had this teaching, you know, when I was a young man, my Lord, things would have changed. Praise God. In verse 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread. See, we, Andre would have been making, I, I ate two big pieces of sourdough bread. Andre had been making that sourdough bread. It's supposed to be for your gut, right? And this morning, that's what I ate, like some, a big, two big pieces of sourdough bread with a, with a, Grass-fed butter on that thing melted. You know what I'm saying? Like a little honey. My Lord. And, and she put it in a bag, and it said, my daily bread on it. And I said, that's what I've been praying for, Lord. <laughs> and he gave me my daily bread. I had it this morning. Uh, but, you know, these, um, this prayer is, is about God's day-to-day provision. You remember in the wilderness, in the Old Testament, they get out into the wilderness. They don't have anything to eat. God literally rains manna down from heaven right and they had daily provision and matter of fact he said hey don't take more than you need for the day because if you take it it'll rot just take enough for each day because there's enough grace of God for each day well they get frustrated with God's provision and they and they cry out for meat and they cry out for quail of all things I don't know how many of you have eaten quail but if y'all want to have a roast or something let's eat some quail but they got together they cried out for quail God reigned quail down from heaven up to their knees and the scripture says that they ate to their full until they vomited it out of their noses I love the Bible <laughs> I remember one time I ate a bunch of hot dogs and got sick and I you know got sick and a big chunk of hot dog got stuck in my nose <laughs> that's a terrible thing to share on a Sunday morning but I, I imagine quail just getting, you know what I'm saying? Like they're vomiting. They're throwing up with so much force that it's coming out their noses. But here's the thing. It says that he gave them their request in Psalms, but he sent leanness into their souls. Because there's some things that you're asking for that are not God's daily provision for you. And if he's not answering that right now while you need, he, it may be because you're asking amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. And he's saying that's where you need to bring your prayer back into the will of God of what he wants for you because he will daily provide for you what you need. If you ask, and let me tell you something, God cares about your needs. And he will meet your needs. And I need you to understand something else. When you're praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, everything that I need, you can trust that what you receive that day is exactly what you need. But here's the other thing when you're praying that prayer is somebody out there is praying a prayer very similar and God will likely use you to be their daily bread. Amen. And so you've got to be sensitive to what God is doing. God cares about our needs, and we should have the courage to ask Him. Verse 12, he says, then he moves into this section. He says, forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. See, the prayer of daily provision is our responsibility. But see, there's also this daily thing, and I don't know where, where y'all are at with this, but see, if you don't keep your heart clean on a daily basis, this is like why the Bible says do not go down, don't, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because if you go to bed with anger and bitterness in your heart and you allow that thing to remain there in your heart, it can fester and it can rot and all of a sudden one day you wake up and it has affected your personality. And you have changed. Why? Because you've not been keeping your heart clean. 
And so I come to the Lord as regularly as I can, and I'm bringing my negative attitudes to the Lord. I'm bringing my frustrations. I'm bringing any, any kind of sinful thing that's going on in my life where I feel like I've missed the mark, and I'm laying that down before the Lord on a regular basis. But also, I'm forgiving those who have sinned against me because in the Christian life, sometimes what we do is we figure out ways to justify those who justify being bitter toward those who have hurt us. Would you say amen to that? Like that, that happens. And it's so interesting. I don't know if y'all deal with this, like, but, but as a pastor, maybe you get it a little bit more. But here's the thing. Like, you ain't going to believe this, y'all. I'm going to tell you something you ain't going to believe. There's some people out here in this world that say negative things about me. I know you wouldn't believe that. <laughs> like there really are. And do you know what's so interesting is that probably if you're out there and you say something negative about me, I promise you somebody will tell me. I promise you because they just come and they tell me and I know. Like I, I, not only do I hear about it, I hear about it from multiple witnesses. I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, you know what, maybe next time just, I just, you just keep that to yourself. <laughs> I'd rather not think that way about it, you know. But, but what happens is, and here's what I want to say to those who, who, are, who may be listening online and you have so, said something negative about me. I promise you this, I am praying for you. And it's because I don't want my heart to be turned toward you. I don't want to see you in public and have something where I feel like I need to walk away from you or have something where I'm wondering whether or not this person likes me. Whether you like me or not, by the grace of God, I'm loving you. And I'm not just praying for you, but I'm praying for your children. I'm praying for your family. Most of the time, it's church leaders that say the most negative things about you if you're a pastor. Somebody amen me on that. And, uh, and so I'm praying for your churches, and, and, I, and, and I'm releasing those people to the Lord on a daily basis the best that I can. Because if I don't, what I'll find is that bitterness will creep back in. And this is something where you have to keep your heart clean on a daily basis. He's saying, come into this position. You're praying the will of God. You're praying for your daily provision. You're praying for situations where the name of God would invade. But then you're keeping your heart clean by confessing your sin, bringing it under the blood, receiving forgiveness. And you're releasing those who are, who are currently hurting you or sinning against you in such a way. And you're forgiving them and releasing them to the Lord. But not only that, you're blessing them. Amen. And you're desiring God to do good to them. You know your heart is clean when somebody hurts you and you actually desire in your heart for God to do them good. And until you're there, Christ is not fully yet manifested in your heart. Verse 13, he says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, the Lord cannot tempt us with evil because He has no evil in Him. There's no darkness in Him whatsoever. But He's saying, lead us in such a path that we won't get into a position where we'll be tempted. Because He knows, He wants you to recognize, one, you're frail, you're weak, and odds are there's a big chance that you're going to make a big mistake. Anybody, right, 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 you can pray. It's very possible that you're going to make a big mistake. And so in, in one sense you're praying, Lord, I need you to take my stupidity into account today. I need you to realize just how weak and fragile and foolish I am. And I need you to lead me in such a way that when Satan tries to set an obstacle up in front of me or, or I'm tempted in such a way that I become aware of it before it even hits me. And I'm able to flee and turn. The Bible says flee sexual immorality. It doesn't say flirt with it. It doesn't say walk in the room with it. It says gird up your loins and head out like a rabid beast, son, taking off running. 
Certain things you need to be aware of in such a way. He's saying, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. And here's where in prayer you begin to enter into spiritual warfare. You come against the enemy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You take thoughts captive that are moving you in a sour direction that you know are contrary to God's will. You know it's leading you astray. And that temptation is in your heart. God will deliver you from the evil one. That means he will set you free from that pull, from that temptation. But see, you've got to pray it. Some of you have never even prayed that prayer. You've never even prayed, Lord, set me free from this because you fell in love with your demons. You fall in love with your demons, whatever it may be. You say, I just, I kind of like this. I want to flirt with it, want to hang out with it, want to keep it for a while. But you know what? I still want to be a Christian. Well, at some point in your Christian walk, you have to decide, you know, do I really want free from this? Do I want to be, do I want Jesus to take all of my life? Or do I want to have certain things? See, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. It says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands... Take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, what does he say? Flee from idolatry. Flee from anything that you are putting in the place of God. Because God has an escape for you in that temptation. You know what the escape is? It is God himself. When you enter into his presence, this is why Jesus taught his disciples when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. When you're in a state of prayer, when you're in the the presence of God, all of a sudden that thing that tempts you becomes so weakened in the presence of God that you have a newfound power in the Spirit to say no and resist the devil and submit to God. But when your prayer life is waning and you're not in prayer, you're not in the presence of God, you're losing your strength, you're leaking, and the enemy comes to offer so many temptations and they look so good when you've not been praying to God. They look so good. And he's saying, I need you to come back into my presence. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you you know that the flesh is weak? It'll lead you astray. But see, when you pray, you're strengthening yourself in the Spirit to say no to these things that are coming against them. You're engaging in spiritual warfare. The Scripture says, give no place to the devil. That is written to Christians. That means that you as a Christian can give Satan access into your life by the things that you choose to do. But he's saying, no, resist the devil, submit to God, and he will flee from you. Satan will flee. So here's lastly, I want to I give you this last few verses and then we'll just pray. But Luke eleven fifty eight, basically he, he finishes that prayer. He said, for yours is the glory, the honor and the power forever and ever and ever, right? And then he moves into this parable when he teaches it in Luke, in Luke eleven five 5 through 8. After he teaches this prayer, it says, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Don't trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though, he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And the Lord's not saying that you need to just keep being persistent to pull his leg, but like we talked about last week, there's spiritual warfare going on all around us. And your persistence in prayer is what creates the atmosphere for a breakthrough for the answer to come into your life. And so he's saying, 
Pray this prayer. Pray this model. Get this prayer in your heart. Pray it on a regular basis. Pray it on a daily basis. Keep these things as modes for you to pray. And see, when you're engaging in this, when you start to realize that deliver us from the evil one, it, it moves you over into places of Scripture in Ephesians 6. It moves you over into Philippians 4 whenever you talk about praying for your daily needs that God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory. And you learn to pray these, this scripture out to God and he's moving in, the, in your circumstances and in your midst. Bow your heads with me this morning. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your, as your Lord and as your Savior, and you need that spirit that comes into your heart, that spirit of adoption where you cry, Abba, Father. And you're ready to turn from sin and say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you and I want you to take control of my life. I need forgiveness of my sins. And I want to know that I have eternal life. That it's not hanging in the balance and I'm not doubting what happens at the end of this life. I know I will be with you and I'll see you face to face. If that's a reality for you and you're saying, I sense that pull now and I need to give my life to Jesus, would you just raise your hand right now just as an act of faith between me, you, and God, and I just want to pray for you. Is there anybody here this morning that would say that? Anybody at all? All right. For the rest of us, I just want you to take a moment as they, as they, begin, to, as they begin to sing. I just want you to take a moment just to begin to pray. To say, Lord, we need you more than we've ever needed you before. We need your presence. We need your guidance. And Father, we're praying for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in every situation in our life. Lord, your name is holy. Your name is sanctifier. God, you can come this morning to set people free from bondage and addiction because that is your name. Lord, your name is healer. So in this moment, God, as we pray, we call upon the name of Jesus because you are a healer and you're able to heal even in this moment. And we ask for your kingdom to come to invade the hearts of people, to invade the bodies of people, to bring healing and deliverance and freedom. And Lord, even when we don't get the answers that we've asked immediately, God, we know that you have a will, that you take even the brokenness, even the lost things in our life, and you work them toward your ultimate goodness. And so we pray, God, that, that you would begin to just turn situations for you, your good and you would point us to that heavenly kingdom that is coming. But God, we pray that it would begin to break out in our midst even now. And Lord, we pray that you would meet our daily needs. There's people that need provision in certain areas of their life. And so we pray that you would grant that provision. You would supply all of their needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, that you would lead us not into temptation. So many people are being led astray even now by different temptations, Lord, to, to various sins. But God, do not allow them to be led in that way. But deliver them now from the evil one and from the power of darkness and set them free in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness for our sins. Even as we forgive those who have sinned against us, Lord, we release them to you this morning. And Lord, we just speak peace over their lives. We bless those that have hurt us. We pray, Jesus, that you would save their souls. You would minister to their hearts. You would touch their minds. And you would bless them. And God, we give you all the glory and the honor this morning. And so we just respond to you in worship as we give you that glory. In Jesus' name, amen.